And I'll leave it that way. Ugh. Well, then you won't hear us. Yeah, no, I'll hear you. I hear you. <laughs> I thought Come you said for sure. I don't want to hear you anyway. Come to think of it. <laughs> Come to think of it. Now that you mention it, you know. Now that you mention it. Turn the volume way down on Kevin. We don't want to hear him anyway. Hey, I'm Stephen Woodford of Rationality Rules, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. You just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims That's something to be ashamed I'm an atheist Coming at you from Puritan, B.C. This is Left of the Valley My name is Kevin and I asked my girlfriend Why she doesn't tell me when she has an orgasm She says she didn't want to disturb me when I'm at work <laughs> Joining me as usual is the team which won't use a big word when a singularly unloquacious and diminutive linguistic expression will satisfactorily accomplish the contemporary necessity. Exactly. Yeah, of yeah. Course. That was like 10 bucks worth of words right there. <laughs> and never do it again. <laughs> we know she's getting better at golf because she hits fewer spectators, Nancy. Not, a, not intentionally. <laughs> it's just my aim is not that good. Really, it's the people who are side-eyeing her. She'll, <laughs> she'll tell you to remember that today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. I'm very deep and intellectual like that. Absolutely. And she's so clever, even she doesn't understand a single word she says. Person. Pretty much, that's, pretty, that's, that's how I run things. <laughs> Ladies, welcome back. Hope you had a great week. In the rain? Oh my gosh, the rain has been magical. We did, oh, have, a, we magical. did have a good day. I think it was Wednesday. No, no. Rain is beautiful. Good days are <laughs> rainy days. <laughs> rain love over there. So today we'll be talking to two ladies of a podcast called Forsaking Faith. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to that. Yeah, so I'm going to be swimming in a sea of estrogen today. Yes. <laughs> and you'll enjoy it. Yes, yes it can only do you good. <laughs> And that will be for the second half of the show. But first, let's do a chit-chat. In the news today, did you guys hear about this? Uh, you guys remember this uh, band, Pussy Riot? Yes, mm-hmm. in Russia. Yeah. Uh, one of the members of Pussy Riot is actually in a hospital. And he's suspected of being poisoned. This is uh, Pyotr... Well, uh, he's in Russia. <laughs> yes. Pyotr Vizilon, I think. I'm sorry if I massacred a name there. Uh, he was arrested for disturbing the World Cup match. Um, they were protesting uh, too much of po- uh, Russian police state uh, activism. You know, I mean, the police state in, in Russia is much more strong than it is up here. And all of a sudden, he ends up in the hospital and he's highly suspected of being poisoned. Well, that seems to be the Russian Yeah, that seems to be the Russian way. Deal with dissidents. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting to keep an eye on that. Uh, seems that any any political dissent will get you poisoned in Russia. Yeah. yeah. It's not right out killed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So hopefully he can actually make a, a steady recovery. But so far the odds are against him. I mean, if you were if you were a, a political person and you were invited to have dinner with Putin, would you? Well, I don't think you need to be invited to dinner. I think they can kind of or just di- like or dinner with do it. you know anybody from the KGB. I might bring my own lunch. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. Well, then again, I'm not fighting against Putin. I might not have a reason to worry about. Um, Did you guys hear that filmmaker Michael Moore 
and the controversial uh, documentary maker, says he might actually have to escape to Canada. He's released his movie yesterday called Fahrenheit 11.9. Remember Fahrenheit 9.11? Uh-huh. It hit the theater yesterday. And uh, the film uh, uh, wavers between optimism at po- uh, the populist movement from the left and the authoritarian, uh, authoritarian regime of Donald Trump. It's a very anti-Donald Trump movie. And he says, depending on the way uh, it's received, he might actually seriously consider moving to Canada. Uh, I don't know how serious he is. I think he's pretty entrenched in Flint, and I think that makes him a man of the people. I think if he, you know, if he was even half serious about coming up here, yeah, I but don't, I mean, I don't it, think his movies would 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 be as powerful because he's left. Unless he, you know, maybe had a little getaway. Cottage up here. Yeah. You know, well, he does have right. some family up here. Huh? Yeah. So, uh, but it's it's interesting because you know now that under the Trump regime, uh, essentially reporters are being arrested and stuff like that, right? Things that really didn't used to happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he would totally be a target for Donald Trump. Speaking of the Mango Mussolini, that's my new nickname mm-hmm. for Donald Trump. I love it. <laughs> Did you guys hear the one about this week where he told Spain that they should build a wall in the Sahara Desert? Don't! Wait, yeah. Yep. Yeah, to manage to manage what? migration, the Sahara Desert. Is he is he really that? Stupid? He is really that stupid. The Sahara Desert. We're talking about three thousand miles going east to west, and he thinks you should just build a wall. Also, it's no. kind of hard for people to come across the Sahara Desert. It's, it's just well, like he what was the st- hell are you I thinking? Mean, he- he, he was out to lunch when they had geography. Oh, God. And history and spelling. Oh, and my God. Civility. When is he not out to lunch? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think he's out to lunch. He's, out he's to not lunch. out to lunch. He's out to golf. That, I, I, can, yeah, exactly. I can't believe, I can't believe. you know, when I look at a, a Trump supporter, I said, this is your guy? Really? Build a wall across well, the Sahara the Desert? Is, this is your a guy? A lot of Trump supporters don't know about the Sahara Desert either. <sighs> yeah. They're like, what's that? A desert? Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> they don't realize that the sand dunes can get, like, freaking 300 feet tall. <laughs> and Trump apparently thought that the, uh, the, the the Sahara Desert had to be smaller than the Mexican border. Oh, my God. This is how ridiculous of a man this guy is. And, it, and the media is barely talking about this. No, facts Facts are, are just an option if this that other people use. He just, he's totally within his own head, and anything outside of that is fake. If, the, if this was done or said by a, pri- a Canadian prime minister, the Queen of England would come over here and grab him by the ear and toss him in London Tower. Ah, what's their heads? I mean, this is so bloody <laughs> fucking stupid. I can't believe this man. And this is the guy in charge but, of... I, you know what? That just encapsulates it you can't believe that no, man no that's that's the administration in in one meme <laughs> absolutely you know it really absolutely. is it's interesting that he thinks all immigration issues can be solved by a big wall <laughs> yeah exactly you solve everything with a wall did you guys hear that apparently somebody one of the writers of sesame street said that bert and ernie are actually a gay couple i, I saw that yeah <laughs> this was a longtime writer, Mark Saltzman. He's a Sesame Street writer. He says that, yes, uh, Bert and he are actually a gay couple, and he writes them up as uh, being a gay couple. Now, Sesame Street came back and responded that they are puppets, they're best friends, <laughs> and although they are male, they don't actually have a sexual orientation. Well, they're puppets. They are puppets. I mean, they they have parts and non-parts. <laughs> and <laughs> I think the non-parts... <laughs> 
but that doesn't make any. Well, I don't know. It would depend on Hansen's orientation feeling. and gender, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, whether I, they have parts or not. I, I you know, I, I'm disappointed in all this because, frankly, those are not the questions we should be pondering. There are much bigger questions that our society needs to wonder about. It's like, why does the count count? Uh, uh, right? Uh, is yeah. Oscar the Grouch homeless? Yeah. You know, uh, and uh, why is Cookie Monster? Is he an addict? And of course, most pressing of all, what is the secret identity of Super Grover? Exactly. <laughs> did you watch? Did you watch? Did you watch Sesame Street when you were a kid? Your old pal Super I've never Grover. actually seen. Of course, Street. who hasn't watched Sesame Street? I mean, were I've you, never actually seen Sesame Street. Were you? Were you a, a faithful watcher? As a as a, a very young child, I used to watch Sesame Street, and I've actually learned my alphabet in English before mm-hmm. I learned it in French. Yeah. And that was uh, all because of Sesame Street. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my See, I kids, didn't have TV. Yeah. My kids, I didn't watch Sesame Street. Uh, we, watched, we watched Sesame Street together, and it was, it, uh, it was so charming. Yes, yes, you know, absolutely. You, it, was, it was just as much fun for adults to watch as I it had was. the VeggieTales. Yeah. No, <laughs> oh, you poor thing. No, we had, I had Dragon Tales. Okay, Dragon Tales was the best. Yeah. yeah you guys are from a younger generation. And Crazy Quilts. I never had that. Mm-hmm. I had Recess. I only got I that on special occasions because it was on at like 10 at night. Really? We had Saturday morning cartoons. Saturday morning cartoons were the best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they were the best. I, could, <laughs> I had trouble getting up every day of the week. Except <laughs> to go for to Saturday school. morning. But Saturday cartoons. morning, I was up at five yeah, watching yeah, Saturday morning exactly. cartoons. Typical kid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it was. Last but certainly not least. Um, Remember we talked about the uh, Doug Ford in Ontario mm-hmm. making changes to the sex ed program yeah. and trying to uh, bring it back to the standards of 1998 and where there is uh, no uh, did no talk about the LGBT, there is no talk about gender identity, there's no talk about consent. It's ridiculous. Well, it sparked uh, a, a student walkout in Ontario. God. Yeah. And a lot of, uh, about a dozen high schools uh, across the province, actually, the students walked out, and although they were protesting on behalf of the elementary school kids that are not being taught absolutely anything either. Um, so awesome. I've got a little two-minute clip here from the CBC, which explains it pretty good, so let's listen in. At this Toronto school, the outrage over changes to the province's sex ed curriculum spills onto the streets. Organized under the banner, We the Students Do Not Consent, a reference to the fact that sexual consent is no longer being taught in class. Students are not lazy. We're not going to sit back and watch our education be destroyed. But these are high school students. The reversal to the old 1998 sex ed course affects elementary schools only. Still, these kids say they need to stand up for their younger friends. Kids do uh, need to learn about gender expression and gender identities and different kinds of families and all that. And it's really irresponsible to, uh, to cut that out. The walkout wasn't confined to Toronto. Dozens of high schools across the province emptied out in Oakville, Guelph, Kingston, Ottawa. In all, dozens of schools, thousands of students, a sign of how important this issue is for many. Huh, like the kids are protesting about this. It must be something important, because why would they care so much about it? 
But for some, the fight is personal. They say an outdated sex ed curriculum that ignores consent and same-sex relationships can have serious consequences, spreading ignorance. As a member of the LGBT community, when I come out to people, the response isn't always positive. And leaving young people in the dark and unprepared for the world around them. I did not fully understand what consent was. It hadn't been talked about when I was in grade 8. And I found it very, very helpful because I was sexually assaulted and I did not understand that it was not okay. Their message to the Premier, governing for the people, means governing for young people too. Salima Shivji, CBC News, Toronto. Ontario's Minister of Education, Lisa Thompson, declined our request for an interview, but her office said they encourage every interested person in Ontario to participate in the province-wide education consultations set to begin next week. And that was the CBC. Good for them. Yeah, uh, well, good on those kids for doing that, no, for yeah. taking matters in their own hands. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's they're, they're speaking up for the younger kids that can't speak, you know, because you can't. Have elementary school kids protesting like yeah. that. So good for them for doing that. I, um, and I just want to make a, a little a little detour here on this, because this ties into a lot of uh, things that we've been doing here on the show, talking about SOGI one two three and all that. And I know there's a lot of parents out there that are concerned about SOGI one two three, and they're saying uh, we shouldn't be teaching kids in school or even elementary uh, school kids uh, about sexual orientation and stuff like that, saying they're too young. Some people are saying it's the parents' place to do that, not the school. Um, I can understand these concerns, uh, but they're misplaced. Because, first of all, uh, let's face it, parents do a lousy job at explaining sex to kids. They really do. I mean, my sex talk was lousy. And can anybody say, really, they had a really good sex talk with their their folks ever? I mean, I'd say it's probably a little bit, for a lot of people, an awkward topic to talk about sex with your kid. Absolutely. And I think, I I suspect that this is exactly what's behind the uh, reticence of people to accept a program like SOGI123 or the sex ed uh, curriculum in Ontario. It's not because it's bad for the kids. It's it's making them uncomfortable. They don't want to, uh, they don't want little Timmy to come at home and say, "Hey mom, today we learn about sex this, sex that. Can, what is this? What is that?" They don't want those questions coming at them. Well, I think the other the other part of that is gender identity yes. because now you have a lot more parents, when they have a child who um, has been born of one sex and decides when they're six or seven that they are gender when they're born of one gender, and they they really feel as though they're they're another gender, mm-hmm. it makes it very difficult for that child socially if the classmates reject him or her because of um, the transition that they they want to go through or they are going through. And so kids need to get get a, a, an education in terms of what society is like yes. today. Not 10 years ago, but today when coming out is something that for, for a lot of people is much easier. And kids need to recognize that when they're playing with a, a child who is doesn't want to use the girls' bathroom, wants to go to the boys' bathroom, mm-hmm. they, uh, they need to understand the compassion and the respect mm-hmm. that goes along with... With, yeah. with having that child as a playmate, and and I think that's part of what um, Doug Ford, you know, it, it's sort of the mini me of of of, um, of Trump, of Trump, you know, and I I think 
uh, Ford is saying, you know, make Ontario retro again. Yeah, yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. But he's so wrong, and it's going mm-hmm. to be so harmful to to kids and and to the adults that they meet that may be transgender or whatever. Yes. It just makes no sense whatsoever. I, I also feel that a lot of issues dealing with like people who are like afraid of lgbtq people and like people like those people i find it a lot of it comes from ignorance it does Mm -hmm. a lot of it just comes from not understanding like you get so many people who are like oh well you can't be a woman because you have like this chromosome it's like ha dude you know nothing about the chromosome if you think that X, Y, and, like, XX are the only options. Yeah, exactly. Like, we, you just don't understand. We yeah. talked about that with uh, Dr. Veronica Drance mm-hmm. uh, several shows ago, right? <laughs> and and uh, people need to understand. I understand, you know, you want to protect your kids, and, you know, you're feeling awkward about having a sex talk with your kids, especially when they're very young. Mm-hmm. But let's put it this way. A lot, of, a lot of these same people would say, we want to teach kids to shoot a gun. Yeah. So well, they could be safe around weapons. I don't think in Canada as much. <laughs> no, no, but it, it, it's the same thing, right? You yeah. want to be able to teach kids how to handle a gun. So when they do find a gun in the home or something like that, they don't accidentally shoot something. Mm-hmm. You want to give them the information. If you, what you, When you're denying these kids this kind of education, you're essentially saying, let's give them less information. Yeah. You're not making them safer. You're making mm-hmm. things more dangerous. The world is out there nonetheless. You want to pump as much information and as early as you can in your kid so they can be more prepared to face what's out there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Now, giving your kids a sexual education is not going to transform them into something they're not already. And that's, of course, culture guard. And yes, and that's and exactly that's what the lies of culture guards are trying to tell you. They're trying to tell you that if you listen to Soji123 in these programs, your kid's going to turn gay. No, you don't learn your sexuality. You discover it. If your kid it happens to be gay, you might not, you might not exhibit it now, but he will later no matter what you, t- you teach him. So it doesn't matter at that point. No. You might not he, his sexual expression might not be happening right now at a young age, but if he turns out later on in several years from now that he's gay, no matter how much sex ed you throw at him, that's not going to make him straight. All or how much do, would you withdraw from him is not going to keep him straight all either. All it'll do will make him accept himself and not hate himself. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like that gun thing. You want to teach the kids about gun safety so they can be safe around guns. You want to teach kids about sex ed so they can mm-hmm. be safe in the sexual world when I, it happens out there. When I, Veronica was part of our, our our program and she was talking about sex education and so forth, the, she gave the best explanation in saying that you have to look at that, it, it, that sexuality is on a spectrum. Yes. It's just like people have black hair, brown hair, blue eyes, green eyes. We're, we're all human and we all, you know, are, are part of the human experience, but some of us are not, you know, on the same page all of the time and if you understand that it's a spectrum and we're human it's much easier i think to explain and and to accept Mm -hmm. that we're not all permanently one gender because we were born that way there's a variety it's human live with it deal with it and you know teach your children it's you know as long as you're a responsible ethical adult or person that's what counts Mm -hmm. i think one of the most important things that the these kids are protesting and one of the girls men like talked about it in the clip is by taking this education away from children 
it leaves kids so open to abuse. Yes. That they won't even understand what's happening. She said it. She said yeah. it. She, she was sexually abused. Yeah. But she didn't understand she was sexually well, abused until and, she learned from it. And g- growing up, my family's sex was never talked about. No, we had no. No. Like, I never got the sex talk. And, like... Like it was never talked about, and in my family, sexual abuse is so was so rampant, like it was insane, and like people like none of the kids understood what was happening, mm-hmm. and they like didn't understand that what was happening was wrong, and like when the parents when any like the adults found out, they kind of were just like pushed under the rug, it's not happening, yeah exactly it's like no, you have to understand that like no one is allowed to touch your body in like sexual ways. Do you like, want no one? Do you want your kids to learn from sex and it be a bit embarrassing to you now, or do you want them not to learn from it and then when they do learn from it, it's from sources like porn, yeah, and stuff like that. <laughs> Is that what you want for your kid to learn <laughs> sex from? Because that's certainly where I learned it from. <laughs> Mom, you want scap magazine and porn and stuff like that? And trust me, it ain't a great source. <laughs> oh, yeah. So anyway, or the other kids at school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the incredible amount of, I, I, if I if I can recall, when we used to talk sex amongst teenagers, the incredible misinformation that was out there is like, oh my yeah. god! To this day, it's like, what the hell were we thinking? Is that really what you want? Just because yeah, you want save face and you don't want to be yeah. embarrassed a bit? Those, no. those were the days when librarians, and I, I don't think they still do this, but in my day and age, you um, say from the. 50s to the 70s, something like that. The teachers would actually go through some of the art books in the library and put little black stickers over the oh the gosh. nude paintings so they'd cover up, you know, the, they'd, they'd cover wow. up, you know, the nipples. And so the, the guys would go through the pictures. Why is that all covered? What kind, what message does that send? You know, when oh you have gosh. your genitals and your and your breasts covered over with black tape because they're the naughty bits. <laughs> that's that's what happens when you're not you know and you you don't have real education. Yeah. And then and then you get the idea of that oh something's wrong with me exactly that, that this isn't like I'm not okay. It's like ridiculous. And of course, yeah, nothing better than a nice sexy librarian, right? <clears throat> Oh yeah, take all your glasses, naughty librarian. Love Kevin. We don't need to hear about your fantasies. (laughs) (laughs) The internet is there for a reason. Use it. (laughs) Just not right now. All right. No, the Halloween show is coming up, so get your fantasies ready, Kevin. All right, let's move on to our top ten. Nancy, you got a list for us? Sure, I've got one. I got a Canadian one. (gasps) Yay! Okay. Yeah. So all American listeners. Yeah, we need. I'm joking. I'm joking. about Canada, guys. Yeah, this is from uh, Global News, which we all know is a really good source. So uh, there's no, like, one to ten. These are ten Canadians that, um, let's see how many of them you guys know. I think you're going to know all of them. And it's a good way for our our U.S. listeners to to learn about some of the important people that we have up here. Oh, Bob's got to be there, right? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) How about Tim Hortons? Bob from Saskatchewan? Yeah. First. Tim, Tim Hortons? So this awesome. is a top 10 list of Canadians? Is that, is yeah, this is Canadians. Okay. 
All right. Top 10 Canadians. Okay. okay, first on the list, Terry Fox. Of course. Everybody now in the U.S., Terry Fox was born in Winnipeg in 1958 and was diagnosed with bone cancer at 18 and had his leg amputated. But it did stop him from starting a Marathon of Hope, which was a cross country journey to raise money for cancer research. And he was he was determined, and he was um, a, a, a strong guy, and went 143 days, which was uh, 3,000, a little over 3,000 miles or 5,000 kilometers. And unfortunately, he died when he reached New Westminster here mm-hmm. in BC. But his courage started an annual Terry Fox run, yeah. which I think was last week. Well, and yeah, it was. Uh, didn't didn't Terry start from dying? Well, you know I believe more about. Yeah, I believe that's I, the case. Yeah, yeah, and and um, he was a national hero because of it. Has always been a national hero since that time. And over six hundred and fifty million dollars has been raised in his name. There was a little boy, um, I think close to us in one of our towns close by um, who um, had just overcome his cancer treatments and participated mm. last week. And oh. so it encourages Way a lot go. of people who do have you know, some drawbacks to, to go ahead. At the time, Terry Fox... At the time, Terry Fox was hoping to raise, uh, I think it was just like $1 million. He thought, he thought, you know, or was it what, like $1 per Canadian or something like that. That's what he wanted to raise. And that, that was in the 80s, obviously, which was, of course, a lot of money back then. But yeah, he did so much more. <laughs> yeah, he received the Order of Canada. And um, actually, the Terry Fox run is in over 28 countries mm-hmm. at this really? point. Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah, realize that, that was true. I yeah. love the Terry Fox run. It was one of my favorite like days of school. And he had the nice curly hair. He almost looked like a Greek god when you yeah. look at him, you know? He really did. Yeah. <laughs> Besides I mean, the fact that he's missing one leg. Yeah, he, he, he really is. Uh, he's, I guess he'd be almost at the top of the list. And oh, yeah. Favorite. He was and almost he, uh, the, uh, yeah. there was a show, the, the, the Best Canadian. He was almost, uh, he was the runner-up. Yeah, yeah, right. Anybody um, in, in our little group recognize the name Viola Desmond? Yeah, of course. Okay. I'm not, I, it rings a bell. I Viola tell Desmond you is known are. as the Rosa She's Parks She's the first Canadian woman to appear on our currency. That's right. She was a pioneer of black rights in Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Um, she went, how this all happened was in 1946, she went to a movie and after purchasing her ticket, she sat um, any place she wanted to sit, whatever seat she had, and a manager told her that seating, that seating area, was for white patrons only. That was Hard in Halifax. Believe, but we yeah. have had that kind of discrimination. Yeah, we did. We did. That was in Halifax. Yeah. At the time, she was willing to pay the extra to, because it was kind of like the, the the VIP section. She was willing to pay extra, and they said, "No, you got to move anyway." Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She fought the changes and it was eventually pardoned yes. because she was charged. She was pardoned in 2010, which was 45 years after she died, but better wow. late than never. Her sister is still alive and received the uh, the honors. Oh, okay. We talked about this on the show several way, way back. Yeah, so have you seen any of the $10 bills? No, I have picture? not. I haven't seen any. I think they're supposed to come out this year. Yeah, but I think, you know, for Canada, considering our neighbor to the <gasps> south, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah we, we, we like different kinds of things yeah. on our I, I definitely think having her on the currency will will make a lot of young, because I had no idea about, about yeah. her. So it'll hopefully make a lot of younger people like, who is this person? And then look into our history and realize that we have had shitty times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Canadian history is uh, 
pretty fascinating, but we don't teach it well. We only teach about fur trade and beaver pelts. And, yeah. yeah. And it, it, there's way more to that, the Canadian history, than just that. Well, yeah. I think it's improved because when I was learning um, Canadian history, we like I learned about the residential schools. Yeah, and yeah. It, it the, is improving. The, the shit we did to Native, um, the Aboriginal people. like So I, I did learn all about that, which was which was really good. Okay, everybody should recognize this one e- at either side of the border. Gore Downey. Gore Downey? Gore Downey. Who? Come on, guys. Gore Downey. <laughs> Ring- Tragically hip. Oh, oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Start with the band name. <laughs> yeah, Gore Downey. <laughs> Tragically hip. And he also um, worked hard to promote indigenous uh, rights. And um, he um, was a front man. Of the tragically hit. Just passed away this year. Yeah. And he was, he fought terminal brain cancer mm-hmm. the last years. And so he announced he was going to go on a cross country tour, which he did. And he died October 17th, 2017 in oh, Toronto. Um, but he um, said one of the, um, uh, news reporter said that the outpouring of support and grief for Downey was unprecedented and that kind of shared cult- uh, cultural experience that doesn't happen often. So do, you, you, you said he died October 17th? Pardon? You said he died October 17th? Yeah. Isn't that coincidence? One year later, legalized marijuana. <laughs> oh. Coincidence? I think not. It's a celebration no. of his death. <laughs> or the morning of his death. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he, Yeah, but he had that final tour um, and he went to Kingston, Ontario. It was watched. People who were there and who watched it, four million people wow. gathered. So oh. those of you from the south put on those CDs and videos watching the Tragically Hip, and you'll see why he's so beloved up here. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a First Nations... Um, it, um, one of the one of the albums that he had was called The Secret Path, which had to do with the indigenous mm-hmm. people. So, at any rate, okay, here we go. Now we may not be really familiar with this lady, whose name is Nellie McClung, no, and she gosh. won Manitoba. We need to know her, especially for the you know for, for all the women. She won Manitoba, which is one of our provinces, uh, women the right to vote in. 1916, which Whoa. was the first province to allow women to wow, vote. Wow, good job. Good job. She was a writer, teacher, wife, and mother of five. So she really worked hard for women's rights and you know, had her own awesome. family at all. She had a really good um, history. Um, she became a, a, a member of the legislature in Alberta and um, with women's marches so prevalent nowadays, uh, bringing women to Washington and all over. Women's rights are always in the spotlight, so you kind of have to give give a, a salute to uh, to Nellie uh, because it's 102 years yeah. since since she gave women the right to vote. Yeah. That's a good for Canada. That's great. That yeah, really that is. is. 1960. Okay. Um, Here's one that I, I doubt whether the people from the South are going to know. Lester B. Pearson, the yeah, only Canadian yeah. to, to be uh, prime, our 14th Prime Minister from 1963 to 1968, but he was also the only Canadian to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Mm-hmm. And anybody have any recollection of... There was a spat between Lester B. Pearson and uh, Johnson. 
in the U.S. Johnson was not very fond of Pearson, and apparently there was an incident where uh, where I, I can't remember what Lester B. Pearson said, but he obviously said something that Johnson didn't like. And apparently, John, in the White House, Johnson grabbed them by the by, by the scruff, if you wish, and basically said, "You don't come to your neighbors and piss on the carpet." Never heard that. Story. Yeah, apparently oh. it's a very interesting story. But because you know Johnson, oh. Johnson was oh, not the yeah. kind of guy to, yeah, you Great know, he just, story. Yeah, so uh, that was an interesting thing to see a Canadian prime minister and an American president kind of going, okay. Yeah. Oh wow, <laughs> this guy almost gonna get physical. So that's for sure. Well, he won. Getting back to the, the the Nobel Prize, he won it for his efforts in bringing France and England out of Egypt during the Suez Crisis in 1956 when he was Minister of External Good Affairs. Job, dude. So I gather Johnson wasn't too thrilled, wasn't too impressed, Nobel Peace Prize winner or yeah, not. Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. <laughs> and that, that, that definitely cements our, our world reputation of uh, peacemakers. <laughs> yeah. He, he comes up every now and then, um, Christian Freeland, who is, is in the midst of our trade talks, yes. uh, uses him as an example in, in oh, good, several good. of her speeches when she talks about Canada's foreign policy priorities. Okay, here's one. I'm going to tell you what he did and then see if you can remember his his name. I'm, I'm kind of giving a shout out to Kevin because of his <laughs> pop quizzes here. <laughs> okay, a Nobel Prize winner in Canada in medicine for his work Bethune hmm Bethune Banting what Banting 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 no that's not the same one I was thinking yeah creating insulin oh Oh, okay yeah yeah Yeah. the Iditarod yeah I mean he was born in (laughs) 1891 Pardon? I said Balto (laughs) (laughs) sorry it's the movie (laughs) she loves that movie yeah, so, so Banting was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in Physiology or Medicine in 1923. This is an interesting story. Um, his, uh, re- his research assistant was a doctor who is Dr. Um, McLeod, and he helped Banting by providing facilities for his research. And when Banting was given uh, or, or notified that he won the Nobel Prize, he said, I'm not taking this prize unless you include him. That's uh, so how awesome. often How often do you hear that? So the, um, the committee said, no, no, this award is for you. And so they gave him the award. So Banting did the next best thing. He shared the money. Oh, with okay. his, awesome. is that a nice guy yeah, or what? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I can't remember hearing any of those. That kind of a great story. That's so Canadian. There's a, there's one other I can think of that did the same thing, but it was uh, Pierre Curie. Yeah, he with, with his wife. Yeah. Oh, oh, because that's Because the Nobel right. Prize was given to that's him, and right. he says, "I'm not accepting this unless she's included as well." Yeah. well Thank she goodness was, for your she historical was so memory. That's pivotal <laughs> exactly right. and important in the research as well. Oh, she was vital. It was absolutely vital. Yeah. Um, anybody hear of Marshall McLuhan? No. Who was a communication theorist and credited for coining the term "the medium is the message." Mm. He was yes, he was a you know, a scholar and he was born in Edmonton in 1911 and um, he described the effects of the internet and virtual reality in 1964, saying that the global village would not be a peaceful place. <laughs> the interesting thing about on uh, Twitter, <laughs> did anybody see uh, Annie Hall, Woody Allen's movie? 
he's standing in line and he's having a discussion. This is in the movie, and he's having a discussion with another fellow in line about Marshall McLuhan, and he says, "Well, I'm going to have." Dr. McLuhan talked to you himself, and so Marshall McLuhan was actually in Annie Hall when you see that little clip. So that's kind of fun, you know, that he took time out to to be in in Annie Hall. Hmm. Um, One of the interesting things that Global News did, and including different people on this list, was they included all indigenous artists. I think that's so Canadian. Yeah. That's so Canadian. And so there were so many Canadian artists that were indigenous, they decided, let's just give the, um, you know, say that they're all iconic. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now that there's a renewed focus on cultural appropriation, indigenous artists are speaking up for their rights uh, and for their, and mm-hmm. for their work more and more. Uh, Clara Hughes... She was the only person in history to win medals at both Winter and Summer Olympic nice. Games. Do we know Clara Hughes? No idea. She's been a spokesperson <laughs> for mental health and uh, an advocate. So she's she's a hero in a lot of ways, both for her accomplishments and for the fact of being very open about how she deals with her, her okay. mental illness. Now, here we go, back a little bit. Um, this person was voted by Canadians as the greatest Canadian on the CBC in 2010, <laughs> Tommy Douglas. Tommy Douglas. Ah, I saw a smile on your face. Oh, yeah. And he brought socialized medicine right. to Canada. <laughs> Aha. It's like that America. <laughs> yeah, he was born in Scotland in 1904 <sighs> and immigrated to Winnipeg when he was 15. When, when Michael uh, Douglas did his movie Sicko, and he talks about uh, socialized yeah. medicine. He actually refers to that, and he says, "He says Canadians thought so highly of the guy who brought socialized medicine. They actually made him the most popular Canadian ever." So, <laughs> yeah. there's a lesson for for, for maybe uh, our for neighbors Americans. to the south. Yeah, don't it's be afraid. A very of it. popular idea. Yeah, yeah. He was premier of Saskatchewan, and he brought government-funded health care to the province, and then prompted the federal government to follow suit. So there's our list for today. Is there any other Canadian that wasn't on this list that you'd put on? Tim Hortons. <laughs> Tim Hortons. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love Tim Hortons coffee, okay. Wayne Gretzky while you're at it. Yeah. <laughs> the great one. Oh, God. Wonder what makes me really happy. There was only like one or two politicians in that list. Yes. And their accomplishments weren't their political Things. Career, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I feel like in America, there would be multiple politicians, if not all. I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm not sure if I agree yeah. with that. I don't know. If you look at a list of fate, what generally what they do in the states is when they make up a list, they generally categorize them. Uh, they, you yeah. know, the, I guess they the, do the have top a ten in entertainment or the top one in there. I'll have to take a look to see if there really is a list that lists the top ten Americans. Yeah, maybe we could do that next time. Mm-hmm. Top ten I'll Americans. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Perfect. All right. Thank you, dear. That was great. All right. My dear Kirsten, you ready to regale us with other tales of nonsense? <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> it's another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. All right. So I'm telling you guys this in confidence. You're not allowed to share this anywhere. Oh, it would make co- one anonymous Shh. Mormon church leader extremely upset. Oh, no. And we cannot make Mormons upset. So, so, so we can't, we can't broadcast this is what you're saying. You Absolutely not. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Listeners, don't <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> 
a man who was carrying a gun in his backpack may face charges after the firearm went off inside Jesus a meeting house Christ. for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day <laughs> Saints in Utah. For which the- was cocked? <laughs> Just- Jesus was cocked? What? Like, did he not have the safety on? Oh, no, no. It gets better. Just listen. Just listen. Jesus Christ. Fortunately, no one was hurt. But there was one casualty. The feelings of the church leader who asked people not to tell anybody about the incident on social media. (laughs) You never tell people to not tell people. (laughs) The moral of the whole story, literally. The gun belonged to a 74-year-old man, the Salt Lake Tribune reported. According to Lieutenant Brian Taylor, Provo Police responded to a Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints ward house at... 345 Eastern Foothill Drive, about 2 p.m. on Sunday. The man had a 22 caliber revolver in his backpack. He was in the vestibule at the entrance to the church when the gun went off and the bullet went through the adjoining wall where young women were meeting. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Why? Well, it's because... Why? It's because God is so good in his miracles to protect his flock that they feel they need to bring a gun with themselves even at church. No, no, there's a reason. (laughs) Um, The man had left his gun in his backpack following target shooting the previous day. And this gentleman, Eric Hawkins, also added, We are confident that the building and its members are safe. Okay, why would you leave a gun like that in your backpack, loaded, and ready to well, fire? It, yeah, and you're after target practice, you're supposed to go home, take all the bullets out, put them in separate locked containers. No, not in the States. The States don't have that law. I know, but it's not, I'm not meaning law. I'm just good practice. Yeah. No. Well, at man, least leave it in the trunk of his car. <laughs> what? Or, like, have, like, a case or something. Like a lockbox in your car. But, like, a backpack? Really? Um, the man does have a concealed carry permit. Uh, the case has been referred to the city's the city attorney's office for possible charges. The incident probably wouldn't have been that big of a deal. After all, no one was struck by a bullet. And, you know, it's America. You'll have to try harder <laughs> next time. But it is now because a church leader put a taboo on talking about it. He instructed people not to share details on social media. So naturally... Audio of him saying that exact thing ended up on Mormon leaks. Nancy, you carry around your Magnum 44. Do you bring it as well when you go to your satanic rituals? Well, of course. Okay, okay. I just thought maybe it was kind of weird to bring a 22 to church. No, I have a mini. Modern sacrifice. Oh, you have a mini. I have a mini. A mini Magnum. Okay. <laughs> Um, the Mormon Links website released an audio recording of the church leader encouraging the teenage girls in the ward or congregation not to talk about the incident publicly or post anything on social media. So it wasn't just like they were young women. They were teenage girls he was telling not to talk about it on social media. Oh, that's the right group to say, <laughs> so, don't say a word. They Keep went home on Instagram. And Facebook, instantly... Instagram. And one of the girls looked at each other and said, I call shotgun. <laughs> We'd rather not have you post... Hey, a gun went off at church today. That will hit headline news and even go nationals at the man. And then we've really created a situation that would be hard to control. So I'm asking you nicely to respect that. While Hawkins and the police indicated what happened was an accident, the unidentified leader says there have been some other threats against other individuals in a different ward that shares the building. So there's a particular level of precaution that the other ward has taken. 
A 74-year-old man took a shot at me today. <laughs> the irony here is that if the Mormon leader wasn't trying to be so hush-hush about it, his words likely wouldn't have ended up online. No, exactly. But because the church has a habit of secrecy when it comes to damning information, someone had the instinct to record the audio and share it with the site that was bound to post it. <laughs> nothing is private anymore. I mean, nothing. Everything I, is wired. I have a feeling Every, we have a budding atheist. Since the smartphone <laughs> changed everything. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a feeling we have a budding atheist in that church. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, record it. <laughs> oh, Joseph Smith, protect us. All right, I thought that was a good one. That is a good one. Moving on, this is somebody's response to having problems with churchgoers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> In 2015, River Point Church bought space in Houston, Texas for a new branch. It also happened to be across the street from the Hiram Butler Gallery, an art vendor. That wasn't a problem on its own, but church members have frequently been parking in four spaces reserved specifically for the art gallery. No amount of discussion, Hiram Butler said, seemed to resolve the problem. I guess the church didn't realize you should have you shouldn't have you shouldn't get into an argument with an artist. Because Butler commissioned some art that should solve the parking problem for good. A sign outside the Hiram Gallery reads, and let me explain before we get into this and before everyone freaks out, parking only for gay conversion therapy. (laughs) We tried reason. We tried anger. Neither of those things worked. So we're trying humor to see if that will reach them, said Butler. I'm as gay as a goose. It's not anti-gay. I've been a gay activist my entire adult life on the national life it is satire and just in case anyone thinks it is homophobic there are also satirical bumper stickers telling people the conversion occurs in the other direction (laughs) for artist robert rosenberg meanwhile the sign had an accompanying line of pink bumper stickers which read follow me to the blossom gay conversion therapy center where we pray the straight away (laughs) should only be offensive to one contingent (laughs) we pray the straight away (laughs) I don't see how anyone who thinks very much can look at that sign and think it's offensive, other than people who belong in gay conversion therapy, who believe in gay conversion therapy and promote it, he said. It's supposed to be a visual assault on those people. Maybe they'll stop and think, oh yeah, that's our idea. It doesn't look so good in pink and black and 16 feet long. Oh my god. So it's not a small sign. That kind of gives me an idea, actually. (laughs) What they should do is, (laughs) if you want to really put it to the conservatives there, they should paint a couple of parking stalls rainbow colored. Safe gay parking only. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. (laughs) None of these prude conservatives would even go near that. So you'd have all these parking stalls. I think that's great if you have a problem. Let an artist solve it. The yes. heck with di- diplomacy and military you know, force. Let an artist solve the problem. And Artists and have humor. a power, Artists but they don't use their words necessarily for power. Yeah. yeah. So far, Butler says the sign hasn't completely solved the problem. He hopes, however, that he doesn't have to resort to calling a tow truck to take the cars away. For the church's part... Senior pastor Patrick Kelly issued an apology to a local news station and said he would continue to be diligent to prevent our guests from using Mr. Butler's four parking spaces. <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah, it's mean, great. <laughs> I, I, do you remember this? This is a while back. Remember the story uh, where there was a, I think it was in Toronto, 
and the, the, there was like a, a gay church or a gay center or something like that and somebody left a cross a big cross and they chained it up and you know uh, like a protest <laughs> they took the cross and painted it all rainbow <laughs> you know what's they funny cut the padlock and put their padlock yeah. on it. <laughs> my first thought was to that big cross is like I would just go paint it rainbow yeah, colors <laughs> It's exactly yeah. what they did. And, you know, that's the most brilliant way to respond to that bigotry. See, that just validates what I said. You got, you yeah. got a problem. He's an artist. He's yeah, an artist. Let an artist with a sense of humor. Oh, another point, though. You ever wondered why they have handicapped spots in churches? Can't they just heal these people? Oh. <laughs> they just aren't praying hard enough. They obviously have something that they have to work through with God because it's it, God wants to help them. It's them holding themselves. God is so far behind in his work right now. It's scary. He needs an assistant. <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies. So when we come back, we'll be talking to Heather and Christine of Forsaking Faith. Looking forward to that. So mm-hmm. stay with us. think it should be religion treated with ridicule and hatred and contempt and i claim that right in the morning hi everybody this is robert stanley from the right to reason podcast and if you subscribe now you'll get free learn more about the broadcast at the right to reason.com What happens when you're an atheist living inside the Canadian Bible Belt? If you're like me, you gather some friends and take to the airwaves. So I invite you to take a left to the valley and find out where you stand in this world. Follow us on iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, Stitcher, Blog Talk, or leftofthevalley.com. Atheists, skeptics, and humanist radio, no God required. will do good service by conscientiously expressing his conviction. For only thus can the load of prejudice by which this subject is overwhelmed be removed. So what you know about natural selection? Go ahead and ask a question and see where the answer gets you. Try being passive-aggressive and try smashing heads in and see which... Well, joining us online is a couple of ladies, Heather and Christine, of the podcast Forsaken Faith. They are snappy dressers and snazzy dancers. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us at Left of the Valley. Thank you for having us. If you say that now, you might regret this in a couple of minutes. Hey, we're wonderful. Everyone loves us. Yes, we are in our own special way. You're very wonderful. Some of us are extra special. Uh, That's aimed at me again. Ladies, uh, you guys are making some headway with your, your, your podcast there, but you might not be as well known north of the 49. Would you be maybe so kind to give us a bio? Yeah, sure. Go ahead, Heather. You do it. Okay. 
Um, so Christine and I are um, 30-somethings who grew up uh, in the uh, state of, somewhere in the state of New York, and um, we are childhood, well, we talk about this in our podcast, we, we were friends uh, from a very young age, but we weren't as close until uh, maybe about five years ago, mm-hmm. we started becoming closer, and we have a very similar background we went to the same church and the same christian school and come from a this fundamentalist background so that's a little bit about us and then we uh this past year started a podcast this podcast called forsaking faith in order to uh, help us and other people our listeners process the uh deconversion process and everything that that entails and we our podcast focuses not so much on the intellectual reasons why someone would leave Christianity, although obviously those those things are all really important too, but we're, we focus more on the emotional journey uh, that the deconversion process, uh, all that comes with the deconversion process, and we also talk a lot about how it's really complicated and there are things that we miss about Christian fundamentalism, um, and so it's a kind of it's 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 empowering to leave the faith, but then it is also there is also a loss involved. So that's that's hmm. the point of our podcast. Okay. So so both uh, can you guys maybe explain <laughs> very briefly your journey to apostasy? Sure, Chrissy. Do you want to answer that? Yeah, you can. You can't let her do all the talk. <laughs> See who's okay. in charge in that podcast? Obviously. <laughs> um, okay. So. Um, Right. So I, I started, I really, it was a long journey for me. I started questioning my faith when I uh, went to graduate school for the first time to get my master's degree and I was living outside of the United States. And so I was, and that's always a good thing because, you know, you meet different people from with different worldviews and you're in a different uh, cultural, cultural environment. So I started to question the faith then, but I but it still took me a while before I really realized I was not a Christian. For for a while, I was in this in between state where I thought, well, it's just a matter of me finding a more liberal church because because part of the problem at this stage was that my politics were very were moving in a very liberal direction. And, but for a while I was like, well, so maybe I just need to find a really liberal church and I just haven't found the right church yet. And then I really, as I um, got more and more involved in my scholarship, uh, I'm a, I'm a, uh, now doing my PhD in English literature. I then started to question in a more fundamental way, um, reading the Bible as some sort of truth, because what I'm trained to do as a lit scholar is to um, read text and understand them as as cultural products of a you know a specific era. Um, and so that's I mean that's what I, that's what I do as a as a scholar. So that so that was really the pivotal moment for me when I really decided that I could not believe that this text is anything other than any other text that I study, which is a product of many different writers over different time periods, part of different cultures, different um, genre conventions that they're, you know, writing in. Um, And I still don't, I still acknowledge that there could be a God, but I do not believe that 
it's necessarily the Christian God. And I, and I definitely don't believe that the Bible is, uh, again, any kind of uh, truthful guide. You just opened so, yes. up a whole can of worms. <laughs> I'm not going to go into it right now because I want Christine to have a chance to, to uh, give her story as well. But I will bring this back for sure. Christine, okay. by all means, go for it. All right. So um, I've been not a Christian for specifically uh, for a million years. Is that too long? Okay. Um, maybe I think it's 11, between 11 and 13 years. And so um, this process for me has been, it's, it's funny because it's been rejuvenated since Heather recently became uh, deconverted. And so for me, um, I did all this and uh, when I was in college. So I grew up with Heather. Um, we grew up in a Christian school together, like she said. Um, and um, then I went to school really close to my Christian community. And when I attended the, the university near our school, I was part of the group on campus that a lot of our, um, it's called Basic Brothers and Sisters in Christ. It's a university um, campus ministries group, basically. And um, and so I was really um, involved to begin with. And so the thing that sort of took me away was I, w- I was actually advertising for one of our events and in a classroom. So I stood up in front of 250 people and I said, hey, come to our Valentine's Day celebration and let Jesus love you, essentially, is what I said. And yeah, right, yeah. No, I have no shame. Still have no shame, but for entirely different things. <laughs> and so the, um, so one of the people that uh, talked frequently in class came up to me and was like, hey, you let me know how that goes. And I think I did um, talk to him later after we had the event, and I said, oh, yeah, it went really well, Um, but, you know, whatever. And so we talked from that point on um, that he was, he actually turned out to be an atheist, that atheist friend of mine, and um, and he, we became friends, and he asked me if I ever doubted. Um, and, uh, and I said that I had, and I think at that moment I realized that I had always doubted and I was like, wait a minute, I, I doubt way more than I believe. And I actually have never actually had the feeling or the, the groundedness that a lot of people have in faith. And so from that point on my, um, apostasy, you know, kind of grew (laughs) my, um, my, no, right, wrong thing, right, anyway, um, but anyway, my atheism really stemmed from that, and for a long time, I called myself an agnostic, um, I still kind of do, because of the, um, I do think there's a stigma surrounding atheism, um, so I do, I like to call myself an agnostic now, but I can't deny that I'm, you know, I don't have a God, so I am atheist, and so that's sort of how my journey began, and then from there, it was just, figuring things out, you know, and now that Heather's, Heather and I are talking, I um, talk to her about my experiences often because she's going through a lot of things that I went through back then. So that's, um, that's also where the podcast kind of came from. So, so you guys got together and decided to, that was the genesis of the idea of doing a podcast to share your experiences with the, with the broader public. 
Well, really, it was several conversations without thinking about the podcast where Heather would be upset about something or thinking about something. And I was just like, well, you know, think about it like this. And she was like, you know, that's really great. I bet there's so many people who I've talked to about this who are negative about their background. And I also, I have sort of this positive outlook on most things. (laughs) So, so, um, and I think Heather really appreciated that, uh, that we both both embraced our past and we're also embracing our present. And I think from that, it really stemmed into something um, where Heather was like, let's share this. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, let's do it. And so it's it actually didn't start off as like, let's get together and do this podcast. It was more just sort of two friends talking and then it became two friends talking online. You know, mm-hmm. well, that's yeah, me, Christine, are are you still in New York, or have you traveled as much as as Heather has? Oh, so I uh, I live in New Hampshire now. Um, come find me if you'd like. It's not a small state. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not a big state. I mean, but um, and uh, yeah, no, I haven't traveled as much. Um, but you know, I, I have my taste of the United States, but it's mostly choosing to travel. I lived in, um, upstate New York for a a while before I moved to New Hampshire and I was pretty much, I am still a New Yorker. Who am I kidding? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the reason, the reason I asked and, and I, I, if you could bring this into the conversation as we go, I think it would be really interesting in that, you know, Heather has traveled outside the U.S. and she's also been, you know, in several states and she's been in Canada. And so I wondered whether the outside cultural influences made a difference in her apostasy and how she's come to where she mm-hmm. is or whether or not with you, Christine, it's been more of an internal thing regardless of the fact that you know you've been pretty much in in the same in the same area so that would be kind of interesting this is not the level of question the show is known for nancy you're you're setting a new bar (laughs) that's okay i guess it's because i realize that these two women are up to it Uh, they're you know oh there we go i I can tell that they're it's all on them now yeah i mean if you have a chance to bring that in um, you know, fine. If if it just is, you know, we leave it open for the next conversation. That'd be that'd be great too. But I, I I detect there's a lot going on with you two women, so I thought I'd bring that bring that up as a challenge. Yeah, do you, I can answer uh, on my end first. That's a that's a great question. Um, and yes, for me, that is absolutely a huge factor. I think in in my deconversion, um, and also just in my growth as a person. And I'm, I am a huge advocate. I've said this many times to myself. If I ever have children, which I'm not sure if I want kids, but if I end up having one, I am going to really promote that they also um, spend time outside the United States, if I'm still living in the United States, which I might not be, but uh, outside of whatever country it is that they're born in. Um, I, because that did definitely did have a big impact on me. Um, The first time I lived outside the U.S. was I was really young too. I was only 17 at the time and I did a foreign exchange program and I lived in Brazil for a year before going to college. Uh, and then I, and then after college, which I did in the United States, then I lived in, and then I, then I got my master's degree in England. So, um, yeah, so I think also 
tra- uh, traveling, but also living somewhere uh, longer term made a difference. And also living in two very, because Brazil is culturally really different than the UK. Um, and so just seeing, yeah, just, and then also I think moving around in the United States has also helped. I mean, I've just had to learn how to adapt to a lot of different kinds of cultural environments. And what that does is it makes you realize any kind of traveling or living abroad makes you realize how, how narrow your cultural, you know, worldview Mm -hmm. is, um, and so, yeah, that ha- that has had a huge impact on a lot of my fundamental beliefs about the world. And again, not just uh, Christianity, but I would say also uh, patriotism, right? I mean, I I just don't subscribe to some this sort of conservative pro-America ideology. And I think that that there's a there's often a connection between the two, you know, like if you if you haven't lived anywhere else, then you're going to tend to have a more mm-hmm. sort of, um, yeah, uh, America is whatever, the best country in the world, kind of a <laughs> American centric worldview, right. And it really helps when you get out of America to realize that it's an incredibly flawed country mm-hmm. and to want to change. I mean, that's the thing too, is it's not, this isn't me just saying, um, screw America, but it's me saying I recognize the flaws and I think we can do better. And I know we can do better because I lived in countries and especially when it comes to healthcare, for example, I've lived in a country that has socialized healthcare. So I know it's better. Um, and I think it's easier to, to, um, ha- have those beliefs change when you when you actually get outside of your yeah that box so yes this that's is, the long answer to your question no this is a very interesting point you're making because uh, I've, I've noticed even myself as soon as you travel and you start living outside of where you were born there's a streak of patriotism that over that comes you want to share your culture with whichever new environment you're in except mm. for the americans i, I i've noticed if you're you're Dutch and you're sharing and you, you, you come to Canada, you want to talk about Dutch culture and all that, you want to share that. And mm-hmm. as a Canadian, I do the same thing. But whenever I come across an American, they don't do that. And uh, the only other person that does that is also a person that's escaping a place like Afghanistan or something like that. I don't know what it is about American culture, but maybe you, I think you've put a finer point on it. You realize that America is not as great as it thinks it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also, I mean, I went to visit Heather when she was in uh, England, and I don't, I wouldn't say that we were ashamed of our, no, our pa- patriot. You know, we did, we were. It was sort of the interesting topic, you know, but it was we were fearful, mm. you know, that other people viewed us a certain way because of our actions or our heavy military reliance and some of the other things we were worried that people might think of us a certain way because of that you know yeah I totally understand I mean there's been for rumors for the longest time that a lot of Americans traveling abroad will sew some Canadian patches on their on their clothing to try to pass as Canadians so they don't pass as Americans Mm-hmm. Oh, nice! Wow, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful yeah. So, so Christine, how would you answer the the, the same question that that Heather just did? Um, so I, I think, and, and Heather can back me up on this because she's known me for a really long time. I've always been an outsider myself, 
um, even in the Christian faith. And so I don't think I needed the culture. I mean, do not get me wrong. I love exploring new cultures and um, people. But I was always very inquisitive of the differences between people and um, cultures and what people stood for and their value systems. And so um, when Heather... When Heather was, you know, when we knew each other, she was, she she had sort of a focused view, and I didn't have that view. I, I definitely branched out um, at the time, and so um, I don't think it changed for me either way. I think when I um, visit a new place, or and I've been to Canada, you know, I've been to Canada and Mexico and England, and I've been places that I haven't lived in those places I do think there's a big difference um, but I think I have in a, I wouldn't call it innate but the sense of awareness that maybe Heather didn't have as much and so I think we've actually come to the same place from two different paths mm-hmm. and Heather you can mm-hmm. let me know if you agree yeah, I think that's, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's definitely accurate. Because you're right, you, you were always more of an outsider, um, even in our Christian school, whereas I was, I really subscribed to the ideology of our school and church um, for a very long time. So yeah, yeah. And so I think if you are looking for that kind of contrast, I might be the wrong person to ask. Mm. You know what I mean? No, you're, I, you're the right person to ask because it's your views and your perspectives and your growth and how you how you were as a child and how you are now. So it's a it's a relevant question and thanks for answering it. Mm-hmm. Oh no, it's definitely a relevant question. I just feel like I was kind of a weirdo in the beginning. And so <laughs> <laughs> you think you're a weirdo? Have you met us? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Lady. <laughs> Going back to your show there, ladies, I was struck by how you said that because the vast majority of atheist podcasts out there do a lot of focus on the intellectual side of things. You know, the facts, uh, how they apply to the faith, and that's why the faith is wrong. And the fact that you guys are focusing on the emotional journey, I think is pretty fantastic. And I think you've, you might be fairly unique in that sense. Uh, so, so what is it that you hope to bring by focusing on the emotional journey of uh, somebody's apostasy and do you think it's something that maybe more shows should do as well oh good question do you want to go first chrissy yeah sure, i don't mind they were um, good questions from us <laughs> they were not <laughs> so i think that i don't think that any show should i think whatever your passion wherever your passion lies is definitely the direction you should go right so blah um <laughs> but i i think heather and i are especially she actually says this a lot that we're both really hypersensitive um Mm -hmm. in our you know to our to our self-development and um (laughs) so um so Heather and I are very hypersensitive people when it comes to evaluating ourselves and our emotions and sometimes it can be detrimental um but I think that because we're so interested in unraveling what that means for us, that's what drove us toward this specific podcast. And um, I think that the the um, epistemological—I hope that's the right way to say that—the mm-hmm. um, that view of looking at deconversion and Christianity and atheism is fantastic, but it creates this. Um, upper 
level of sort of debateism, mm-hmm. which is the word mm-hmm. I'm going to make, that yeah. um, doesn't allow for the vulnerability that comes with what happens in a deconversion process. And that sensitivity needs to be dealt with very carefully. Mm-hmm. And it's often, I often see people who deconvert, who jump right into the atheist community and have to defend why they're deconverting or why they hadn't deconverted sooner or and not even for other people, but for themselves. Mm-hmm. And you feel like you're lacking so much knowledge and information, and that can be really overwhelming. But Heather and I are taking it deeper to a place that you can actually explore the second that you deconvert. And that's, I think, why I really invested my time in this podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and so I, I completely... Uh, obviously echo everything uh, Christine is saying. And um, I, I also want to add that I think especially because this is an important point too, um, Christine and I both, our background is in Christian fundamentalism and that's very different than growing up in, in a more sort of nominal Christian background. And so what I mean by that is a lot of people, a lot of people grow up believing uh, that they're Christians and that they you know, vaguely believe what the Bible says and they go to church regularly. And uh, that's one kind of way of practicing Christianity. But Christian fundamentalism really instills in you this sense, not only that God is real, but that you have a relationship with God. It's an actual, tangible um, um, and, and for me, and this is not quite the same for Christine, so she can comment after me on her, cause it's slightly different. But for me, it was very much colored as a kind of relationship, almost like a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that like God is my first love. Um, God is also my father figure. Um, and it's a very personal, there's a lot of emphasis on, per, uh, uh, that developing that personal relationship, like talk, you know, talking to God and, and these kinds of things. And so when you deconvert from that kind of background, it's really very devastating at one level because it's like any kind of going through any kind of bad breakup, uh, or any kind of breakup where you, you might know that you're making the right decision. Like, I don't want to be with this person anymore. Um, but you still miss, it's still a loss because you're still losing, you know, uh, a relationship. And so that's certainly how I experienced it and, and how many people coming from the fundamentalist background experience deconversion. And that's what I really felt like was missing. That's what doesn't come through in the the kind of intellectual debates, as, as Christine was saying. Um, and again, those are also important and you should be able to articulate also, you know, why, like factually, why you um, are an atheist. But it's it's also, there is this this emotional level to, to the journey as well. And yeah, and we really, both of us really felt like there just wasn't anyone um, talking about the experience in the way that that we're talking about it, and so we felt, and so that was good for us because we felt like we haven't we have a niche that we can you know we can contribute with our podcast um, to help supplement 
and be in dialogue with all these other great, there's tons of other great um, people like you guys and, you know, and other people that are uh, also atheist, part of the atheist community who are, um, who also have podcasts and YouTube channels and things like that. And so we felt like we could enhance uh, and contribute to that ongoing dialogue by adding this other, this other layer um to bringing this other layer to the conversation. No, no, I think I think you guys are doing a fantastic job, and I think this is a fascinating uh, conversation from a point I hadn't really considered before. Uh, I've often said, maybe I don't know if you ladies will agree with me, that uh, the relationship that a lot of believers have with Jesus is the same uh, a sixteen-year-old has with her first boyfriend. He's perfect. He's perfect at first, right? He's always perfect until she's dated him for three months, and then he's not so perfect. But you don't get that with Jesus. You don't get to spend three months with him, so he's always perfect. Mm, so do you find yeah. that maybe maybe this is why it's so emotionally devastating to quote break up with Jesus because he's still perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And then you realize you're the faulty one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll answer quickly. And then, Christine, I know, I think will probably, again, differ from me a little bit in this way. But, yeah, for me, that is definitely the case. Yeah, it was very hard because, right, I mean, for me, from my perspective, it was like Jesus is the perfect relationship. I don't even need. And so this also, and this is a separate thing that I can talk more about in a minute, but um, I'll let Christine talk first. But it's just to say, you know, this has also affected my own views of romantic relationships and I've had to work through a lot of that because I had this sort of distorted view of what relationships were going to be like assuming it was going to be like uh my relationship with God and of course that's not true because human beings are flawed and complicated so anyway yes so Kevin that is true of my experience but then Chrissy you can answer too because I yeah, so well, go ahead. Jesus ain't that perfect. He stole my wallet the other day. He's not that great. Really? Oh, yeah, bastard. Wow. What does he ever use for money? Maybe it's credit cards. Maybe he's just so fascinated with the plastic. <laughs> um, I don't know. So, uh, yeah, I if, if you were going to say... Well, say my 16-year-old boyfriend was far better than Jesus, in my opinion. (laughs) Uh, And mostly that was because Jesus didn't talk to me like Mm. he talked to Heather. He's really abusive, in my opinion. Um, Yeah, I asked for, you know, time, attention, communication. Communication is the most important part of a relationship, and Jesus was like, I don't know how to talk to you. <laughs> and have, you have you met his mother? His mother's even worse. She's got this Jewish mother thing going on. It's horrible. But she has great jewelry. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, <laughs> yeah. So I didn't feel the same. I didn't. My relationship was with God was very. And I mentioned this actually in one of our podcasts that it's very. It's like a love triangle. <laughs> I felt like God loved all of my friends. And, and Jesus it loved all my friends but didn't love me. And I was trying so hard to get that attention in that time. Christian and Lord. so I don't, yeah, I don't feel the same as... It was kind of easy for me once I realized that I didn't believe in our relationship to be like, peace, bro. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, yeah. So uh, it was very different for me. I'm not exactly sure what you want me to ask you, Nancy. 
Oh, uh, I, I wrote a note to Kevin, and he can't read my writing. Which is, <laughs> you know, I, my, I can't read. Yeah, what what I was what I was trying to bring out is that in most of the atheist podcasts, they're run by men, and and the men approach the their apostasy and their journey in a more logical uh, how the Bible is flawed, and how when you go back to to history or the cultural, you find that there are these gaps, and then you get to evolution, and it's all cerebral. Women do tend to go more to the emotional and to the relationship. And so the two of you bring this dimension in, which we all feel, but you are much more equipped to be able to put words Mm -hmm. to it where men would say, oh, well, yeah, but, and then they begin to think about it. Um, But then eventually maybe they get to the deeper, this is how I feel about it. You heard it here first. Nancy said men think. (laughs) (laughs) But at the point, I think you bring a very good point because uh, one of the things that holds a believer to the church is the emotional bond, yeah. and yeah, and, yeah, and, no. and the, uh, the 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 community, uh, uh, the sense of community the church develops, which is, which is seriously lacking the atheist community. Yeah. So I think I think you gals are onto something here. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I hope so. And I also want to, though I appreciate Na- what Nancy said, Nancy, <laughs> sorry. Um, I actually, the, the men that I've spoken to when I left deconversion, what? What did I just say? <laughs> <laughs> so the men that I have spoken to um, since I joined the atheist community, which was just recently because of this podcast, um have actually been very aware of their emotions. And and actually, Heather and I talk about this in our podcast, too. The men in our faith were also very emotionally vulnerable. So even though I recognize what you're saying, Nancy, I don't really like to put as much gender to it as you are. However, I do think you're right in that it's easier for us to introduce a podcast that explores these ideas than it might be for a male to introduce that idea. However, I think that that the the logical logicality, you know, is just as fresh in women and the emotions are just as fresh in men. It's um, it's just that we do have some freedom when it comes to breaking out of that, which I don't think men yeah. have as much. Even even the women that I've talked to who um, who talk more about the logical side um, have an easier time talking about the logical side than a men might a man might have talking about the emotional side. So I do see yeah. some some validation in what you're saying, but I don't want to I don't want to I do I have found great emotional interpersonal like people men who really look inside themselves in this deconversion process um one of them yeah. being graceful atheist and some of his articles are um are up on his twitter mm-hmm. and he's he's a friend of mine who um who really explores that emotional journey and i appreciate that yeah, because when I asked the yeah. girls if I should uh, open yeah, a podcast... Yeah, well stated. Thanks, Christine. Yeah, when I, mm-hmm. well, I asked the girls if I should open a second podcast called The Weeping Hour with Kevin, they thought it was a bad idea. Hey, no, that would be amazing. I can come, bring tissues. <laughs> You'll be the reason he cries. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah that, that'll him. be true. That'll be true. <laughs> Make it a YouTube starting. stream instead, because I think that'll get more, like, just sobbing men. <laughs> it's just a beautiful thing. <laughs> 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 someone on the side, just a hand that... You know, keeps handing him tissues. <laughs> I think. <laughs> <laughs> Let me produce this. 
<laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, ladies, ladies, is there a, a, in uh, coming down the pipe there for your show? Is there anybody, any guests you plan on having, and or or is there anybody you'd like to have coming on? I mean, besides us, of course. Uh, is there anybody you plan on having coming down on your show to interview? Or you plan on yeah. just staying with broad subjects? Yeah. So, um, so Heather, I'm I'm gonna take this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So. We have a few more episodes where we're just going to talk about us. Um, and I told Heather, like, um, I'm a little exhausted talking about myself. You know, I, I hate doing that anyway, and so does she, except when we're talking, you know, personally to each other. But um, And so we're going to move forward. Our next season is going to be um, exploring alternative ideas from the same topics that we've used in this first season and it's not coming up for a little while i think we have three or four more topics that we're going to deeply discuss um but then we're going to have something called forsaking faith snippets where we just look at alternative ways of looking at it of looking at these things that we've discussed and then um moving on from there our third season look at us planners um (laughs) we're we're planning on bringing interviews in where we uh, look at the Christian side versus the deconverted side, mm-hmm. um, and we ask questions to both Christians and deconverts um, and compare and contrast sort of how they think. Because I think there's this huge hole it, that that leap that you take away from faith. It has this like terrible do not cross police tape cliffs between it so once you like leap over that tape it's hard to see the people on the other side and um, I think we're more alike than we play it out to be you know atheists can sometimes be really harsh to Christians Christians can be very harsh to atheists and um, or anti-theists however you would see yourself and um, and bridging that gap is really important to uh, to encourage educational and intelligent discussion. And I think when you bring these debates up to the intellectual level or the logical level, you can sometimes create a, um, an impasse. Whereas when you bring it to the level that Heather and I are, where you're looking at the emotional journey, I think that opens it better up to uh intercommunication between the communities you know yeah and um i i just wanted to add i mean um that even so far my certainly in my personal experience some of my relationships with christian friends of mine have improved as a result of this podcast because um i have a few friends who are who listen to our who are still christians who listen to our podcast and then they will uh, my one friend will call me you know and want to talk about whatever, you know, uh, whatever it is that we brought up. And yeah, like exactly like Christine was saying, because we can connect and have this common ground at the emotional level, um, then we, we can, yeah, we can, we can really connect, uh, in a way that I don't necessarily know that we could, if we were debating, um, sort of like theology or, um, yeah. Exactly. Right, and I just so, so the, to make the longest answer ever short. Yes, we will have, we will have people interviewing, <laughs> but that will be uh, two seasons away because Heather is finishing her thesis. Yeah, I'm, I'm, 
Yeah. Woo. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm finishing my PhD this year, so it's a little Fantastic. crazy. So we're waiting until uh, she's done to do those interviews. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, you guys are giving me an idea. Um, uh, Heather, Christine, Uh-oh. we have to bring you back on. Because especially since, uh, Heather, you're doing your PhD in literature, we have to bring you back on and we'll co- do a show called Is the Bible Actually Good Literature? Oh, yeah. 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 That sounds like Because fantastic. I hear that all the time. So, oh, well, it might not be good, but it's good in literature class. Really? It's I don't think so. so but I want, the, I want the opinion of an expert. So you two ladies, yeah. are book, we're booking you guys for another show probably in the new year. <laughs> So sounds we'll good. So if yeah, sounds great. If uh, the show is forsaking faith, if people want to find you guys, where can they reach you? Do, okay, so um, <laughs> you can you can reach us on uh, Twitter. We're um, at forsaking faith, and then also we have a Gmail account, which is forsaking faith at gmail dot com, and we have a Facebook page, forsaking faith. Uh, yeah, so you can uh, contact us on any of those platforms. And we really enjoy getting uh, feedback um, and from from everyone. And our podcast is available on all the major platforms, so iTunes, Spotify, uh, and also if you, yeah, for people who are listening, we also. So we appreciate feedback just generally. Like sometimes we have people message us about just about it, asking our advice as they're deconverting. But also if you have specific feedback about our podcast, we also really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And also if you wouldn't mind leaving a review about our podcast, that really helps um, people, you know, other people find it and things like that. So, yeah. Uh, Christine, did I leave? Any, did I miss anything? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, because we have like 50 listeners right now. <laughs> like, good. Hey, it's that's pretty, like 39 uh, more than we have. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> no, he's lying. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so... So we we would like, you know, it's really about reaching people who are going through the same process. So if you know anybody who would be interested in the podcast, I'd rather word of mouth, you know, just mm-hmm. be like, yo, listen to these girls. They're like talking about themselves, but the stuff they say is kind of relevant to you. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, Heather didn't leave anything out. Um, just that we really like when people um, record like, some of their deconversion story on their phones so we can put it in the beginning of our podcast. We love to have people um, be a part of it. As a matter of fact, many of the people we've uh, talked to have given us like songs to put at the end or poems or things like that. And so, uh, so we really like to be interactive with our um, listeners. So anybody who wants to give us something, a poem that they've written or a song that they've wrote, would be great and we'd love to showcase it so there's also that fantastic mm-hmm. yes heather christine thank you so much for joining us today but before i let you go i gotta have you say hi this is heather and christine from forsaken faith and we took a left to the valley all right hello this is christine hello this is heather and we took a left at the valley fantastic. and we oh should i say it too no, sorry. sure <laughs> <laughs> And that was Heather and Christine of Forsaken Faith. That was great. Lovely ladies. Yeah. I love them. We, we really don't get into that level 
of emotion and no, and no, that aspect of it. It really is a subject that we don't talk about no, enough. No, we tend we tend to get more to the scientific the and science, the logical, data, the yeah, intellectual, yeah. and I, I think yeah. I think they're really onto something there. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, you know, a lot of Christians, the thing that holds them to the church, even though they know, they know what the church is doing. But they they have this emotional excuse of saying, well, you know, it it helps me. It, it's it's my little safe place. It's it's an emotional response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if these ladies can make you see that the journey to apostasy does have an emotional journey, but not necessarily one that's you're not necessarily giving up the emotional side of your life, then I yeah. think they're doing us a great favor. Yeah, I, I like the way their, their their first season is structured around their own um, experiences and, and journey, and now they're going to branch out and and bring other people in as part of their their podcast. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a re, it's a it's a really wonderful way to transition into different ways of looking at apostasy. So the show is Forsaking Faith. I recommend you uh, you watch it. Uh, well, you listen to it. It's a great little show, and uh, you follow that. It's a good one. Perfect. Thank you so much for being with us today on the show, guys. And thank you for listening. Uh, you can follow us at leftatvalley.com. You can follow us at uh, Facebook, on Twitter, at LATV Podcast. You can send us an email at leftatvalley at outlook.com. You can send your complaints to Nancy on the third floor. Except if it's raining and then it's indoors. <laughs> Coming up next week, our old friend Robert Stanley returns. Oh, it'll be a wacky one yet again. Do, we have, a, do right. we have a subject we're talking about, or is it kind of just a free-for-all? Even if we did, Robert's just going to go <laughs> into a field somewhere, and we'll just have to follow him. That's all there is to it. Chasing him through the field. He's in Temple, Texas. He can go in any direction <laughs> he wants. Coming up in October, we'll have our old friend David Fitzgerald. He'll be coming back to talk to us about John the Baptist, yeah. and the history of John the Baptist. On the 13th, we'll have Mr. Dini, Brian Keith Dalton returns. Mm. He's much more deep in political things than you would think. Exciting. If you want, yes, he's actually very good. And on the 20th, this is going to be a first, we're having an atheist heavy metal group. <gasps> what? Called Serious? Predators. What? And they're coming to the show. We've had some singers before, usually most folk song, but these are heavy metal guys. I'm so excited. This is going to be great. This is going to be great. And of course, on the 27th, we have our Halloween special. So we have to be getting ready for that. Perfect. That's what we got coming up, guys. That's what we got. Great month of October plan. Anything else we need to say? Nope. Perfect. So we're good to go. Have a great week. (laughs) Until next time. Only true on a regional scale Science is universal Are you to say that Horus isn't real? A vice? The White Walkers are actually people from Alberta there's, like, there's, there's just like a sheet over it So when Americans look at it They, they don't notice it's there <laughs> You want to hear a funny story uh, When I used to drive a truck down south to California <laughs> One summer, this is July and for some reason, it's always a Texan. I don't know what it is about Texan. It's always a freaking Texan. Uh, their education system's not correct. And uh, he's coming across to Canada. This is in the middle of July. And this guy's got, uh, he's wearing a tube, and he's got skis on the roof. 
And, and he rolls down his window. He's waving at me. So I roll down mine. And he says, says, excuse me, sir. He says, can you direct me to the mountains? This is July. I said, the mountains? You going skiing? He says, yeah. I said, well, okay. This was uh, Highway 15. So I said, well, just follow this road uh, north for, uh, for a couple of miles. And then you hit Highway 1. I said, head west. And follow that road for about three hours. Then wait three months. <laughs> <laughs> this guy I apparently expected as soon as he would cross into Canada there'd be a wall of snow there just waiting oh, oh yeah and we all live in igloos up there for sure it's always a Texan like, what it is about Texas I don't know what it is about Texas uh, Texans are crazy yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh no I hope I'm not, I'm, I hope don't don't uh, broadcast that part that many atheists are told to be quiet you're not alone Something to be ashamed, I'm in hate.